This is episode 49 of the Ed Essentials podcast. This is all about how we can best support our EB students, our ELL students, emergent bilingual English language learners, whatever you might call them for your school district, because this is a huge area of need for so many teachers. We all have students um, that are you know, in our classroom that where English is not their first language, and we have to meet their needs. We have to provide supports and structures to allow them to show their mastery of learning. And, and sometimes teachers, we don't have the tools to be able to do that. And so when I was thinking of experts that could best provide those tools, those strategies, those interventions um, for us, I thought of none other than my coworker and colleague, Samantha Nolte. Sam is an incredible resource within our district. She not only dives into the interventions and strategies that are really easy to use, um, they might just be things that you don't normally think about right off the top of your head, but she also dives into the actual relationship building process when we first bring in EB students to a district. So she talks about you know some of the stories she's um, had with EB, EB students within our district, the emotional toll of being that advocate for those students and for the family. You know, oftentimes she's having to take that on alone and by herself. Um, and then we kind of wrap up the episode after we talk about strategies and resources about what teachers should take away from her role as an EB teacher and, and really the lessons that regular classroom teachers can apply to their own classroom um, based on her role as an EB teacher. So without further ado, please welcome on my colleague and coworker, Samantha Nolte. Welcome to the Ed Essentials Podcast. My name is Hunter Flesh. I'm an educator and podcast host, and in each episode, I hope to equip educators through the stories and insights from experts across the education field. Be sure to connect with me on Instagram and Twitter, at Ed Essentials, and leave this show a review. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Now let's get started. Welcome everyone to the Ed Essentials Podcast. I'm so excited because I have one of my favorite co-workers here <laughs> with me today, Samantha Nolte, our emergent bilingual uh, teacher. For those that don't know EB, it's just called EB at our district. It, other districts, it's called ELL, um, but here we call it EB. So Sam, how are you? I'm well, I'm well, thank you. Good. So we're going to talk all things EB today. I brought you on because that's such a huge um, area of need for a lot of teachers, you know, as a general classroom teacher, we're asked to teach so much. We're asked to differentiate in a variety of ways. And oftentimes, we maybe don't have the tools or the skill set to really support our EB kids. So I'm really excited to learn from you more. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Cool. So first of all, for listeners who don't know you, uh, why did you want to become an EB or ELL teacher? Yeah, so I don't really have the quintessential like favorite teacher story. Uh, I wanted to become a teacher because of X teacher. Um, I, I just came about it more organically. And then um, I knew that I also really loved Spanish. Like it was one of the only things that I really felt successful in in high school. And so I can remember standing in a, a hall at UNI that no longer exists waiting to um, talk to my um, what you call it, the guy that made your classes, um, your advisor. And I was like, oh, what's this thing? ESL Spanish? I can do both at the same time? That sounds awesome. So so that's how I how I got started down this path. And I've been very grateful that it's it's worked out. I've loved it. So That's amazing. I love that so much. And so maybe thinking about when you graduated, from when you started your career to now, was it everything you expected it to be? 
Um, that's a great question. Um, I know it wasn't on our list, so I apologize. <laughs> um, it was, I think. Um, you know, I, I got started also in going to learn Spanish because um, I think I wanted to get out. Of, of Iowa. I've come from Northeast Iowa, very, very, very small, homogeneous um, demographic. And so I just knew there were bigger things in store. And so that um, helped me to explore and see the world. And um, what I expected, I, I think, yeah. I mean, maybe I didn't have any expectations, I yeah. guess. So it was just been You're just ready great. to dive in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I started teaching in Marshalltown. So it was very diverse from day one. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I know there are a lot of school leaders, teachers, interventionists, whomever listening out there right now, Sam, and they know they have EB kids, ELL kids on their roster. And so what's going to help them is knowing how to best work with them, right? What are the strategies and tools that they are going to implement? But first, we need to backtrack to when they first enter the district. So what does that process look like for you when you have a new EB student come to the district for the first time? So we will first take a look at a document called the Home Language Survey, which asks, what does mom speak, dad speak, what's spoken at home, what does your child first uh, learn how to speak, and if any part of that Home Language Survey is anything other than English, we automatically screen them for EB services. And sometimes that's a little obvious because they're coming to us straight from a Spanish-speaking country or a different um, Spanish language um, country, mm -hmm. but also sometimes um, it's a little more, um, what you want to say, just a little not as straightforward as that, so um, you do have to do some digging. We have our, you have to look up their information by their state ID and see kind of where they've been in the state of Iowa. If they haven't been in the state of Iowa, try and contact former schools and things like that. So trying to get a whole picture of length of stay in the country because they could be slife or, you know, interrupted formal schooling. Mm -hmm. um, so they might have back and forth in the United States, bouncing around between here and Mexico. So that's kind of their whole, like, education background is really really helpful to get a picture of of a learner when they're brand new um and then also their their family like what what they're here because of why did they physically walk here from guatemala or did they come here because they are refugees um so um those are kind of the the big things of when you get a brand new eb student to a district is find out where they're coming from why who they're living with um and, and use that to, to really lower that affective filter. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if you're familiar with that mm -hmm. term, affect meaning your emotion, filter mm. meaning how those emotions are coming through. So if you think about like um, how we're speaking right now as colleagues and friends, that's really easy, our affective filter's low. But if you're learning a new language and you are set into a seventh grade science class <laughs> and you're just learning English for the first time and you don't know your teachers, your co your friends, people around you really well, your affective filter is going to be really high and guarded. Mm -hmm. And so just your mental processes will not be able to to function as if you were like cool, calm, and at ease. Yeah. So getting to know them, kind of the more like data-based stuff of like, yeah, the background, where they're coming from, length of stay, who they live with, but also who they are as, as human beings. Because that's, after all, that's what they are as a mm -hmm. human being. Wow. That is so, <laughs> like, just even me being a non-educated person on it, like, and even not, even as a teacher in a school, you know, I, maybe I would have some sort of knowledge about that. But that's seriously such an in-depth process that so many people have to take a moment to just appreciate. Because you're not only just getting to know them as a student, as a human, like you said, 
but you're also getting to know the family, the why, the emotions behind that. Like you're, you are probably the first main point of contact for the school, like entering into this district for this whole family. So they rely heavily on you. And that's such a big burden to carry to make that family feel comfortable in so many different ways. And so kudos to you for doing yeah, all that. Thank that's you. insane. Like it makes me think of what you asked me a little bit ago of, is it what I expected? And in some ways, yes, but I just kind of dawned on me like, no, because they, <laughs> they taught you to be you know a teacher. But one of the things that I love about being an EB teacher is that you are, and we all are in our own ways, right? I'm only speaking from my own experience, but we are um, so much more than the teacher. Like we are the interpreter sometimes. We um, set up their transportation. We I've read, read their mail before. I've worked on their citizenship, getting their citizenship type stuff. So we are so much, we wear so many more hats than just their teaching them English in the classroom. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. And I'm in my mind, I'm comparing Seidel to other districts and stuff like that. And we're a pretty small district. And so that puts an extra burden on you too, because you probably have to wear more hats than maybe a larger district who has more resources or more, even just staff members, Mm -hmm. you know, in the same role to handle that stuff. And so that's a little bit of an extra uh, burden to bear on your shoulders too. So that's incredible. So thinking about that whole process, the, the moment you're meeting them to welcoming them into the district, getting the students into classrooms, getting to know the family history and the family background, what are some things that maybe non-EB teachers, your gen ed folks, your administrators, what are some of the things that we can take away from that? Um, meaning just like kind of, I don't know, a new emergent bilingual ELL student, what are the first steps in in just teaching them, interacting with them, having them in your school, you mean? Even like, so maybe the process of, so what can we take away from the, what you do as an EB teacher when you have to do all those procedural things? Mm -hmm. Because to me, it seems like you have to go so in detail to build a connection with the student, but also the family. Sure. And be there as a support system constantly Mm -hmm. for the family. And it almost seems like you're having to identify each and every need, right? And almost predict their needs. Um, oh, this, this mom, uh, she speaks Spanish, but a little bit of English, and the dad is completely mm-hmm. Spanish, right? Mm-hmm. And so then you're having to think about, oh, at conferences, this person's going to need this, this other yeah, person's going to need this. Yeah. So, like, are there things that we as gen ed teachers can try to do more of in light of what you do? Or are there things that gen ed teachers can maybe just appreciate more? Right. Um, just appreciate, and I don't know how this sounds, I guess, necessarily, but just remember that they are human beings. Not that we don't treat them as such, but in the idea that just because someone speaks a different language doesn't mean that they have other feelings or other experiences that are different from their own. They mm-hmm. just happen to occur in a different language mm-hmm. and in different cultural contexts. So, um, yeah, and uh, realizing, just kind of thinking of yourself as uh, we're in a middle school, right? So as a 13-year-old, this happened to us this last year, of a 13-year-old, well, she was 12, that the dad got deported. Mm. What would you have, what would life be like for you? And like, no wonder she doesn't want to get up and go to the bus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So taking that with a, with a grain of salt, I guess, yeah. as far as how they are in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And that's a perfect segue to the classroom. Like you're making me think something, a takeaway is that if a student is in a gen ed teacher's room and they make, might come off quiet or cold or, mm-hmm. or reserved, it's not necessarily their demeanor or it's not necessarily because they want to be that way. Mm-hmm. It's that, what, what was the term again? Affective. Affective filter. Filter, that was the word. Affective filter. That's just present for them right now. Mm-hmm. And so 
respecting that, giving it time to uh, dissipate mm-hmm. as they build that confidence. That's something that we need to keep in mind as general education teachers. So transitioning to the classroom a little bit. So say I, you've got, I've got students in my classroom that are identified EB. Um, what are some of the interventions that you found in your experience that tend to be most you know, effective or things that you, you find work really, really well um, that all teachers can maybe try to implement? Mm-hmm. Um, really everything that, not everything, most things that what people do, that's just good teaching. Like I wrote on my, my notes here of the questions of develop a relationship with them. Obviously if, they're, if they do speak English, um, that's a bit easier. But even if they, they don't, just interact with them. Try. Like their name is the, your, anyone's name is the sweetest sound to them in any language. So learn what it is. Learn how to say it well. Why do you get that name? Um, even if you sound like a, you feel like you sound like a doofus, like try mm-hmm. and sound it out. Um, and yeah, just connecting with them about anything. If you have, or if you can translate, like if they're just new to the country, if you have some sort of translation thing, just to get to know them. Like, do you like baseball? Do you um, like, oh my gosh, you love dogs too? I have one, that mm-hmm. type of thing. So, um, and the other big thing is visuals. So if you're going to have directions on the board or if you're gonna have an assignment, have it um, um, something for them to visually see the instructions, but also hear it, um, like just good practice, right? Also modeling how we do the, mm. the, the you know, I do we do and then you do but that repetition is is super important and even something about how you speak to them I'm just thinking we have this you know new guy coming so I'm thinking really about the newcomers newcomers but watch how you speak to them just because Mm -hmm. you say something louder doesn't mean they're going to understand it but if you speak like if I were speaking to a newcomer right now I might just slow down my speech a little bit like this so not to talk down to them, but just to hear the sounds of our language mm-hmm. because English is crazy mm-hmm. as a language. Um, and watch the idioms that you say, watch mm-hmm. the slang that you use. Um, building that background knowledge. I've had experience in my previous school district with a lot of Southeast Asian kids from refugee camps. And so um, I was in, I believe it was a math class because they were talking about probability. And the teacher wanted to use a deck of cards Mm. to talk about the, you know, the reds and blacks and that's the numbers and uh, that other face cards. And wait a sec, do they even know what a deck of cards is? Mm, mm-hmm. They probably have never seen that before in their life. So that background is is huge. Um, also, um, you know, if you are dealing with something that's difficult for you as adults, hopefully we've been able to learn how to regulate our abilities and how to overcome and not become dysregulated. Well, the behaviors from our EBs could come from them feeling like they don't know what they're doing mm-hmm. because they're in seventh grade but they're currently reading at a third grade level so what can you do to make them feel successful and when they feel that success those behaviors will probably lessen Mm -hmm. there's so much of that i want to (laughs) unpack we could do like a whole episode on just that um i love what you said there uh because as teachers oftentimes we're very quick to judge and if we ask the question that you stated you know what would it be like if i was in that situation or what would it be like for them to not be able to understand the language, to have all these directions, to have a, uh, you know, maybe they're seeing projectors for the first time, don't even know what that is. Like, mm-hmm. maybe they're just getting used to being in a different school setting, right? Whatever it is, asking that question gets the teacher to take the judgment away and approach it in a more humane way, right? Mm-hmm. In, in a more uh, 
supportive way, right? Yeah. Um, and I also liked what you said about, well, I liked all of what you said, um, but a point that stood out to me too is just slowing down what you're saying because that student might, you know, some of them might have um, mixed levels of understanding. And so students might be, you know, translating what they do know in their head, thinking about it in Spanish, and then retrying to translate out back into English. Like, mm -hmm. that takes time. And so I feel like I can add on wait time is important too. Wait, yeah. Like, be patient with students because it might just take time for them to process something. Um, don't try and rush, 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 rush. Yeah, yeah. Right? I, sometimes I've developed, actually, I literally count in my head to myself for wait time. Like, up, you know, just count off the seconds for some reason. Eight. I feel like I learned that in college or it's because my favorite number. I don't know. Eight <laughs> seconds of wait time or more or less. Um, but then also what you were saying um, really made me think of something where, you know, language learners, they're doing two things at once especially in the first, you know, five-ish years of, of being in the country. So we need, we need to honor that. And it does take more time. And think about how mentally taxing that is. I can remember being in when I was studying abroad in different countries and just thinking, like, I just want to talk in English for just a little while because my brain needs a break. Mm -hmm. And um, another thought that came uh, through was something I remembered. I think it was a conference or something about um, students with limited or um, interrupted formal education. And um, it was a quote from one of the students. And it, it was, what do they want their teachers to know about them? And the student responded is that I am smart in my first language, in my home language. It's like, wow, you know, they've got all that stuff up there. We can't discount that. They just haven't got the English mm -hmm. way to do it yet. Mm -hmm. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. That's beautiful. And like that goes to the differentiation. And as, as an EB teacher, you know, oftentimes you're finding yourself going into classrooms to partner with other teachers and, and maybe provide support. Maybe you're running a small group or maybe you're just kind of there as a helping hand to mm -hmm. say, hey, I'm going to help out with the, these EB kiddos. I'm going to get them started and then let you do your thing or whatever it looks like. But when you are potentially developing a partnership with a teacher and in, in any role, right? What qualities do you hope to have within that partnership? What should that look like between a EB teacher and a gen ed teacher? Definitely the same end goal in mind of success for all students and that growth mindset um, that we definitely need to trust each other who we are um, as educators and also respect what we each bring to the table. Um, I think there's a lot of vulnerability that goes with it because um, you're kind of, I don't know, sometimes we all get, you know, pigeonholed into our own classrooms is our day, we do our thing. Um, and when you're with someone else, it's, it's a different dynamic and, and you're teaching, that's like your, your, your profession, right? Your vocation is, is for the world to see. And so that person is there with you in that and that can be really vulnerable. Um, and that things should be fun together like it should be um, if you're working with someone co-teaching um, when you are enjoying it that will emote onto the rest of the class and it will be apparent for students mm -hmm. yeah and when you have two two adults that are modeling what it looks like to work together and oh to, yeah that's a really great you know, point that's super mm -hmm. important for, for kiddos to see too right it's not about ego it's not about whose idea it was it's just how 
whoever has the idea, like we just need to help our students. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not about caring how you got there. It's just a matter of you got there. Right. It's not about, it's my idea. It's my lesson, my classroom. Get rid of that because it's your teachers are replaceable, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's a hard thing to hear. But you have to be willing to do whatever it takes to reach your kids. And that requires the expertise of other people. So I think as gen ed teachers, sometimes we think we're large and in charge. And, and yes, we do have certain differentiation skills. But like we've been talking this whole time, you have such an insight and such a, a unique expertise that there's no way I would have unless I went back to school and studied everything you studied. And you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so we have to be open to that feedback as well. Mm-hmm. And so even if you're trying to differentiate and it's not necessarily working for the EB kids, that's, I, you know, kudos to you for trying, but that's when you have to take that criticism and take feedback, right? Mm-hmm. And it, like I said, I can go on forever about that, but you know, it's listening to the experts in the room like, and knowing that the answer can be found. Like differentiation for, for any student is really, really hard, especially if it's in a different language, right? Mm-hmm. That's really hard. And so use the experts in the room when you're building that partnership, teachers and administrators listening, like be willing to accept feedback and take that criticism. So awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, so thinking about, you know, we touched a little bit on the burden of, of working with EB students and just how much you get to know them, how much you get to love them. I'm super curious because how long have you been doing this now? 12 years. It's 12 years. 12 years of kiddos and you see them multiple years mm-hmm. throughout. And so you get to really know these kids and see them grow. And so we know in you more so than anyone know the hardships that they go through. And so how do you go about balancing the the mental and emotional health with high expectations for those students too because like you just said they might be smart in their own language but Mm -hmm. like how can we get that to also happen here so how do you balance the high expectations of students with also knowing their emotional background per se sure i think first it starts with with well knowing their emotional background Mm -hmm. and their story as much as they're comfortable sharing Mm -hmm. um but also honoring that and just letting them know that you see that like that is hard that does suck but you know what you can do challenging things and one of the words that i like to to teach um especially newcomers to the country um is is for those um, that don't know we're in our classroom right now and we currently have construction workers walking on the ceiling so (laughs) it feels like a giant it's fine (laughs) um teaching teaching them the word tenacity Mm, and do mm -hmm. they or or something of that but like grit i like to have one of those words as as one of the words that i teach them um right from the get-go because why because this is what you're going to need to be successful you're going to have to superash you're going to have to overcome and move forward because you can't control what happened to you but you can control your future and you know control the choices you make to lead you to a better future so what Mm -hmm. are you going to do with it and so empathize and feel with them but don't let them off the hook Keep kicking their butt and pushing them and, and trying to um, be their champion and their and their advocate and, and teaching them those skills because life is hard. Mm-hmm. And for these guys, they have even more things stacked up against them. Yeah. And you're just kind of reminding me of a conversation I had on the podcast with Ken Williams. I was telling you a little bit about him before uh, we started recording here. And towards the end of the episode, he says, we... Like ever, it should be start with the crown. Is what he says all the time, and that means that you have a bar of learning and expectation. And for when we differentiate for kids, it's not dumbing it down, mm-hmm. right? It's providing resources to help them get where they need to go. It doesn't mean take an entire activity and make it like twice as less, 
mm-hmm. for a student, right? That's not what he's saying. Like we still know that students can think complex and, and in critical ways, no matter where they're from. Like, right. And so it's treating them fairly and treating them equitably, but it also means that you might need to give them visuals, right? To get them to where right. they need to go or whatever the differentiation strategy, strategy is. But amidst all of the background, all of the, the trauma that they might have, the, the emotional things that they've gone through, like you can also build the relationship with them because you see them in that light of amazing potential mm-hmm. and hold them to those high expectations. Yeah. So, and that's a really fine line to try and draw. Mm-hmm. But I think the, you, the best teachers out there can do that. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I really like what you said there about the, that differentiation isn't dumbing it down. It's providing a resource. Mm-hmm to give them equity in what they're doing, kind of giving them that. I think of like, there's that visual, have you ever, I'm sure you have of the three people, three kids like looking over like the baseball fence oh, to yeah. watch the game and like, it is, uh, I can't even remember what it is. I just have the visual So like, I think, I think it's someone head. standing normally, can see over, and then they don't need any support. Three, like yeah, three are, two can't see, one can. Right. And like, that's. And two are different like heights or whatever. Yeah. And so then they get different sweat, different size like ladders to step on. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's equity because you're still reaching the same place. You're just using a different resource or avenue or exactly. thing exactly. to get you there. So like an EB student, just because they can't maybe speak and, and say you have an assessment, they don't have to speak it to you necessarily. Mm-hmm. Give them a different medium to show their learning. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just getting them that right avenue to show the demonstration of mastery. Ultimately right. is what it is, is mastery learning. We don't care you know, not all the times, but most of the time we shouldn't necessarily care about how they give you the information. Right. Um, do they know it? Mm-hmm. Yes or no? And if they videotape themselves, great. If they draw speak it. to me, great. Draw it, write it. We have to be flexible as teachers to do that. And I'm not saying you do that for um, 116 different ways. You know, if you have that many kids, that's not what I'm saying. But, you know, you, you build student ownership of that learning. And so then that EB student feels more confident because they have those avenues. They know that's an option for them. They're not being forced down one avenue they know is impossible for them mm-hmm. simply because of barriers. So right. um, I, I love what you're saying there. So kind of going to that, thinking about differentiation and how we teach, you know, say you were in charge of EB curriculum <laughs> or instruction for the country. Um, what would be some sweeping changes? And, and you can even take this question like this where if you could just be in charge of all teachers and, and provide them a strategy or a tool or, or say something to all of them to get them to change their practice, what might you say or what might you change? Ooh, that's not a difficult question mm. at all. <laughs> um, I would tell them that we are all language teachers, that no matter to what degree, we are all learning the language. Um, and so that's why having some sort of ELL training or some sort of like language focus training, um, I think would be super, super beneficial um, for the actual learning aspect of it, but then also just the reality of the number of people that are um, coming into our country because mm-hmm. um, the ELL population is not decreasing no, by any stretch. No, no. Um, so, um, and, and realizing that anytime that you are able to tie that language in, in with the content. So, um, like I think of, you know, this 
push-in model I had written in my notes here of, of some sort of um, sheltered instruction. So if you are, I think you had that really great aha moment. What were you telling me about that of, um, it was something with, you You had a, the t unit topic was, I forget what you're going to remember once I explain this to you, and then it was a prefix that you realized that you oh, never explained to them. Photosynthesis. Yes. And so breaking down mm -hmm. that's content right there, but then also the language part of mm -hmm. it. It was like that's going to make your instruction so much stronger. And it won't even just be, I love that you mentioned that. And that's a reflection that I'm having as, uh, as a science teacher. It's like, wow. Like to me, it's just commonplace. You know, I'm used to the language, so everyone should just get it. But that's not reasonable by any mm -hmm. stretch. And so how can I break apart those complicated words and, and get them writing more too, utilizing the language in my class. Um, you know, cause like you said, we are all literacy teachers in, in a way, like literacy makes everything accessible to us. Um, but that wouldn't just help EB students too. It would help every student understand. And it so- helps, helps me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As a learner. Or adults, right? Like, yes. It helps everyone. And so if we think about it through a lens like that too, where it's, you're not just differentiating just for the couple EB kids you have in your class or however many you have in your class, they are strategies that work for mm -hmm. everyone, everyone developmentally. And so we, ha we have to keep thinking about it as not as if they're separate things, but they're all, what's good for EB is good for everyone. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I love for that. For sure. Okay, we're coming towards the end here. You ready, Sam? <laughs> yes. Final question I ask every guest. Uh, so this kind of goes with this last question here. So say there's a complete revision of schools across the world and we decide to build a brand new education system from scratch. As they interview educators from across the world, they select Samantha Nolte. <laughs> and you, Sam, get to give them feedback on what this school system should look like. Um, you know, it can be policies, it can be ideas, it can be just beliefs as a teacher, whatever, you, however you wanna take it, but you're only limited to three statements. Mm -hmm. So. What would be the three statements that you would tell this panel? Oh boy, I said I only had two. You made it to three. I don't know if I can think of one on the spot. So I thought about this, thought about this, this, and I was still on two, but here we go. Um, something that I think that um, we could do to better shape a future school system would be to look at our teacher prep programs. I know we've talked about this before, and I feel like I was not ready to be a teacher. Thank you for hiring me dead holes apple if you were talking like sometimes you know I can't believe like god I was I just did not feel prepared in the pedagogy sense of like actually delivering a mm -hmm. lesson and dealing with the management of the behavior and da, 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 da. Um, so something something like that that they can make the teacher prep programs um, more robust in real life like if I've often thought like if there's um to add maybe and I'm not well read on this so I'm sure there are places in the world where you're student teaching is much longer and mm -hmm. much more rigorous and independent if you will mm -hmm. almost like an internship after your student teaching or even like you had a long-term sub just because of when you graduated mm -hmm. like having that be a must thing like where you really are just thrown in there for a minute and you got to figure it out you will develop probably I wonder we could have probably a podcast about that uh -huh. of like how Don't you get me started, yeah so. of like how much you learned being a long-term sub versus what your undergrad taught you to how to be a teacher. So yeah. that would be one thing um, that I would uh, definitely say we should change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, which is kind of the hot topic, what I think I feel like we're leaning towards now, 
is having the social emotional part of it um, as being part of just the core, just like what you do as a school system. Because if you think about um, like yourself, again, put yourself in the shoes of, of your adolescence and like how are we, if they are not able to be regulated and in the mindset to take in information and be able to be around peers or just be able to be in the school itself in a, in a happy way, how can we expect them to, to really learn? Mm-hmm. And um, I'm now 34 years old and finally feeling like I personally, in my own journey, that I have a grip on that. So mm-hmm. if like, dang, we're asking a 14-year-old to to deal with this, this, and this, and then they, they got to come and write a claim evidence re- re- reasoning on this and that. That was that, like, you know, we have to equip them with the tools to be the effective humans and mm-hmm. learners that we, we, we want them to be. Mm-hmm. Incredible. I would vote for you for president. Let's go. <laughs> Get you in charge of uh, the ed department. Oh, no way. Sam, you, <laughs> I'm so happy I work with you because you give me ways to reflect on my learning and my teaching especially all the time. And just when I think I'm figuring it out, I realize <laughs> I have so much farther to go. And that's, that's teaching in a nutshell, right? right? So right. I appreciate you taking the time out of your uh, pre-service day to, to talk to me and, and to all the listeners out there. Um, if you want to talk to Sam, let me know. I'll be, <laughs> I can get your contact info. So Sam, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ed Essentials Podcast. Original music by Patrick Cunningham. Links to connect with us are in the show notes. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. And remember, always bring your best, and we'll see you next time on the Ed Essentials Podcast.